the silence before Christmas. <coughs> I am one of those people. I don't like to do anything about Christmas until Thanksgiving's over. I mean, I'm okay. If we, but, but when I walk into Costco in August, literally this year, in August, they had Christmas stuff out. And, and you know, then, then, you know, now it's not enough. It used to be Black Friday was the big day, the day after Thanksgiving, right? We stuff ourselves and we give thanks to God and then we go out and, and, and spend all our money. <coughs> now we have what? We have, well, whoa, whoa, we haven't even got there yet though, right? We have pre Black Friday, what one was blue Thursday? I don't know. I, and then we have, then we get to Black Friday and then we have Cyber Monday and then we have Giving Tuesday and we haven't even got to December. The world is so ready to get to Christmas. And then every place, uh, you know, the, so I love KHPE. It's my favorite radio station. I have it tuned on all my vehicles. <coughs> but they start playing Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. And then... We go to the stores, and of course, they got the, if you go to the mall, they got the Christmas music going on. And then outside of every store, you have Salvation Army bell ringers, and it's, to me, it, it, they're all good things. But I get overwhelmed with the noise of Christmas. Because, see, the original Christmas was nothing like that. <coughs> Excuse me. It was nothing like that at all. You see, Christmas, the coming of, of, the, of the Savior to the earth started out in silence. It started out with not even God talking to the Jewish people. I want you to turn, uh, if you have your Bibles, just to, to start us out, we'll be in the last of the Old Testament and then the first of the New Testament. So, so I want to take you back to Malachi, and I want you to remember what was happening the Jewish people had rebelled against God. They, they weren't following what he was saying. They, were, they, were, they, they had a form of religion, but they weren't worshiping the God Almighty, the Yahweh. And so in the book of Malachi, the last of the minor prophets, God comes down and has a conversation with the Jewish people, and in verse chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, the last of the Old Testament, says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet 
before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers and their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. God gave him a promise. I am going to send somebody in the power of Elijah. I will send them to you. And then God turns off the volume. In most places it's called the the silent years. God was silent. Excuse me. (coughs) We'll get there. Come on, there we go. God had been silent for 400 years. No prophets to speak to the children of Israel. God said, I'm going to send one, but you're going to have to wait. And for 400 years, God was silent. Now, things were happening in Israel, but nothing good. In 333 B.C., the Greeks came in, and they overran and captured Israel. And the Greeks had great influence. Matter of fact, when we get to, we just finished the book of Acts, when we come to the book of Acts, it it has, in the very opening scenes, we have the Greek synagogue that was founded in Jerusalem by the Greeks. The Greeks came in. And after the Greeks, it was the Egyptians. And after the Egyptians, it was Syria. And time after time after time, God sent different people to oversee Israel because they couldn't do it on their own. Because God wanted them to repent. And finally, he sends... By the time we get to the end of the 400 years, he sends the Romans. And the Romans come in and they take over everything. They build right next to the temple, they build Fort Antonia. We we looked at that, didn't we? When Paul, they build a Roman fort right next to the temple they'd taken over everything and it's in the midst of this silence that God quietly comes back now if I'm if I'm God what do I want to do Wake up! Right? I want to get their attention. I want to send an earthquake. I want to, I want to do something to get their attention because they're asleep. And they're, they've become so overwhelmed <coughs> with the fact that people have, have ruled over them for so long that they no longer have any hope. 
And it's in this silence that the Christmas story begins. Luke chapter 1. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, the servants of the Lord, it seems fitting to me as well, this is Luke talking, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out to you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. (laughs) Luke, what do you mean you're going to start from the beginning? Well, doesn't the beginning start with the birth of Jesus? Oh, no. God says, hey, listen. What did he say in Malachi? I am going to send one with the voice of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And now, in Luke chapter 1, Luke says, hey, let me tell you how all of this started. Let me tell you about what Jesus is going to do. Let me tell you about a guy and a girl named Zacharias and Elizabeth. In 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 24, God sets out, let me make sure that's right, 23 and 24, God sets out the 24 divisions of the priests of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were divided up into 24 different groups. And they were to serve in the temple one week, twice a year. So they, they lived all over Israel, but when their week came, in this case it was the week for the group of Abijah, they would come to the temple. And they did this year after year after year after year. 400 years they came. And if you want to read some interesting reading, look at some of the book of the Apophrica. You can see the, you can see the book of the Maccabees. You can see how the priests came and, and actually held a rebellion and retook the temple And out of that we get this little thing that the Jewish people call Hanukkah. And they still celebrate it today. But these priests kept coming year after year after year. Zacharias is now an old man. He's well on in years. It says Elizabeth 
was old enough that she was barren. She had never had a baby and couldn't. And to this couple, it says, it's going to say in verse 6 that they were righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless in all the commandments required by God. They were a righteous couple. But God had not answered their prayers. What did every priestly couple pray for? A son. A son that would carry on the priestly line and come to the temple. And they had prayed, and they had prayed, and they had prayed for years and years and years. They prayed every twice a year when they came to the temple. It would be a renewed time, just like Hannah did when she, when she couldn't have a baby. And she came to the temple, and Elijah saw her praying, and he, he thought she was drunk. She said, oh, no, my grief, because I haven't had a baby. That was Elizabeth. And that was Zacharias. Faithful to God. Yet he hadn't answered their prayer. Have you been there? Have you been there when you prayed with all of your might God, do something. Do this for me. They had prayed in all of their sincerity. And God hadn't answered. He was silent. You know, there are times in our lives when we go through things and, and, and we say, God, where are you? Remember Job? God allowed Satan to come in and wipe out all of his family, wipe out all of his goods. And one day, his wife came and said this in Job chapter 2, and then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one who is foolish, of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And then later on in chapter 13, he says this. Though he slay me, I will hope. Ooh, beautiful word. I will hope in him. And what did God do for Job? He doubled everything. Gave him all the children back. Gave him a whole new family. Gave him everything he needed or ever could have wanted. Doubled all that he lost. And for, for Zacharias and Elizabeth... He gave hope. They were still hoping. They come back to the temple. Elizabeth is outside waiting with family members, waiting with others who had traveled with them to the temple. 
And an amazing thing happened for Zacharias. Once in your lifetime you could be chosen to go in and give incense. Only once in your lifetime. He has been serving God all of his life as a priest. And he gets chosen to go into the temple to give incense. Wow. I can imagine Elizabeth grabbing Zacharias and saying, Zacharias, an opportunity of a lifetime. You get to go in the temple and sacrifice. Well, let's see what happens when he gets inside. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. And then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your prayer. What had Zacharias been praying for? A son. A son to follow him in the priesthood. Well, Zacharias, you're going to get a whole lot more than a son to follow you in the priesthood. <coughs> Excuse me. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will receive gladness, joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their God. And then he quotes Malachi chapter 4. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to many or as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord and Zechariah said to the angel how will i know this for certain for i am an old man and don't ever say this about your wife. <laughs> and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because they did not believe my words, which, were, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Poor Zacharias. Oh man, he's standing in the temple for the first time 
the only time in his life where he will be allowed to go inside and lay the incense on the altar. He's taking it all in. The candlesticks, the 70-foot curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the inside of the temple. He's taking it all in, and all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up. Now, Gabriel is not just any little angel. Anybody have a favorite Christmas movie? What's your favorite Christmas music movie? The Nativity. Christmas Story, right? A Christmas Carol. Okay, yeah, right. Okay. Anybody like It's a Wonderful Life? It's a wonderful. I have to watch it every year. Clarence. Angel Third Class. I'm here to get my wings. Right? This is not Clarence, angel third class. This is Gabriel, one of two named, or actually three, because Lucifer is named, but Gabriel and Michael are the two named angels. Gabriel's the messenger. We see him in the book of Daniel as a messenger. We see him here as a messenger. He's come to bring the news. And he's standing there. And of course, Zacharias, all he can think about is, I'm really old. And my wife's really old. And God says, or the angel says, I'm going to give you a sign You don't get to tell anybody. You're not going to get to tell anybody about this. All you're going to be able to do is write it down on a board or in the sand. Can you imagine? He comes out. They get concerned about him because he's been in too long. You know, they used to put a, a rope around their ankle so if they dropped dead, they could pull him out. They're, they're tugging on the ankle a little bit. And he's like going, quit, quit. The angel's still here. And he comes out. And they're like going, what's going on with you? How come it took you so long? Begins to pantomime. Elizabeth's going to be pregnant. What? And God answers by silence. <coughs> Sometimes we just need to sit in the silence, don't we? So Zacharias goes home. And guess what? It works. Right? God's promise was true. Elizabeth gets pregnant. Let's go on with the story. Here we go. There we go. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at the delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, 
they went home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. Woo! And she kept herself in seclusion five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among women. Elizabeth chose silence. Can you imagine what it was like for her? She's barren. She has gone through menopause. She looks around at all the Jewish women around her that get pregnant. And they're all young. She's old enough that she should have grandchildren by now. And she has none, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. <laughs> oh, wow. And of course, Zacharias is no support because he can't even talk. And so she does the one thing that she knows she goes into seclusion, she goes into silence. Because what is she afraid of? Miscarriage. A woman of her age getting pregnant? What were you thinking? It's of God. But what if I lose this baby? No one to go through. Who can she go to to ask advice? You don't go to the young women. She, has, she knows nobody. The only thing she can do is, is go to the Torah and say, Sarah, how did you make it through when you got pregnant after your time? Sarah, what did Abraham say to you? What did God say to you to help you through this time? And for five months, she's quiet. And then finally, there comes a point where she is going to come out and talk about it. But I want to talk about one other phase of this, and it's found in Luke 26 through 38. Luke 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name shall be Jesus, and he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth was, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, Mary had been praying. In Isaiah chapter 7, God gave a promise to every, to the, to the Jewish people. And he said this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus. And Mary was like every other little Jewish girl. <coughs> she prayed that she would be the one to carry the Messiah. She would pray. Isaiah 7. And in the silence of her room, she'd say, God, let me be the one to carry the Messiah. Let me be the one to carry Emmanuel. Even though I'm engaged... Joseph and I haven't consummated our marriage yet. I'm a virgin. Can I be the one? And as she prayed, she had her doubts. Where did she live? Nazareth. The middle of nowhere. Look it up on a map. It's not near the Sea of Galilee. It's in the middle of the northern Judea mountains. And at the time that Mary lived there, it had about 200 people. It was the Waterloo of Israel. Matter of fact, people made fun of Nazareth. When God was calling his disciples together, uh, there was one of them by the name of Nathaniel. And Philip found Nathaniel. And he said, hey, I want you to come and meet Jesus. And in John chapter 1, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the, who, whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. You see, even, even the Jewish people made fun of Nazareth. You came from Nazareth, and they did of Jesus. You're from Nazareth? 
What's up with that? God would come from a little podunk town of Nazareth. And then we see as she had prayed this prayer that she would be the one, she would be the one that God would, would come into this world through her as a virgin. And, and she still hasn't figured out the biology of this. Mama had had the birds and the bees talk with her and she says, I don't get how, how Emmanuel is going to come through a virgin. And she says, Gabriel, I don't get it. And Gabriel says, let me explain it to you. See, it wasn't a lack of faith on, Mary, on Mary's part. It was a lack of ignorance. She didn't know how God was going to do it. And, and if I was God, would I have picked this way to do it? No. But God says, I have a job I have to do here. And that is, I have to create a way to take care of the sin problem. The only sacrifice for sin that would be good for the whole world has got to be perfect. It cannot have the seed of man in it. So what does God say? I'm going to take you, Mary, and I'm going to take your half I'm going to take that ovum that's in your body that's ready to become a baby and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of God is going to bring the other half and that's why he could be called what? The son of the almighty God. He said, heaven's going to come down not an angel, not a human. God himself is going to be the other half. You see, the miracle of Christmas, what do we get all excited about? The birth of Jesus, right? The miracle, oh, the miracle of Christmas is not the birth. Come on. The miracle of Christmas is not the birth of Jesus. It is the conception of Jesus. The birth. She gave birth just like any other person would. Any other woman would give birth. It's the conception of Jesus that God himself would come to earth and be born as a baby and yet perfect because he has half God and half woman. He is perfect. The only sacrifice, because you see, before the foundations were formed, God made a way. And in the silence, of that little bedroom in that little town in Nazareth. 
Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit and through the power of God. Jesus. And two cells became four, and four became eight, and eight became 16. And in a few, few short weeks, you could make out the image of a little baby. And by the time she got to the point where, where she got to see her cousin Elizabeth, it says that the Holy Spirit was so powerful that the Son of God was being growing in her womb that John, in the womb of Elizabeth, recognized that he was the Son of God. Even from the point where those cells were dividing. God made a way. It was the perfect Christmas gift. It had to be perfect or we could not have salvation. The perfect Christmas gift. It didn't come with great applause. There was no gender reveal. He came in a quiet little village in Israel to a nation who hadn't heard from God in 400 years. He came in silence. I wonder sometimes if we don't need to take time out. Take time out from Christmas. All the hoopla. All the noise. And say, wow. God. What have you done? What have you done for me? You sent the perfect gift. I don't know about you. I have a hard time finding gifts for some people. I do. But God didn't. See, he looked down one day. And he saw a little boy from Waterloo, Oregon. A little town of 200 little town that people get lost in, if you could believe that. And he says, I have the perfect gift for that little boy. That little boy needs a savior. He needs the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus came, was born, grew into a man, led a perfect life, and then one day he said, the only way the perfect gift comes is if I die and rise again. <laughs>